Hey everyone, it's your old friend, Greg Lichtai, here to give you a little update on the episode you're about to hear. We were joined by our good, good friend, Andy Vargas, from the Debates on Tap podcast, and we had a great time talking about Black Widow and X-Men and all kinds of other comic book stuff. Just wanted to update you, I messed up the microphones on this because... Uh, Budget King and Mike D were out, and they are the tech-savvy ones, and your boy didn't know what he was doing. So, if the audio sounds a little bit quirky, don't worry. Next week's episode will be right as rain. Until then, enjoy this episode. We had a lot of great conversations, and there is a special, special guest appearance by my and Caitlin's son, Theodore. Listen closely, and you may hear it. And now, on to the show... Hey everybody, welcome back to the First Issue Club, the only comic book podcast that focuses on one thing and one thing only, First Issues, the greatest entry point into any comic book. It's where you get your favorite characters, your most dreaded villains, and your most iconic storylines. Um, I am one of your hosts, Greg Liktai, with me, Caitlin Morosik, as always. Hello, Caitlin. Oh, what? it's Caitlin Liktai now. Yeah. That was your maiden name. Yeah, I totally forgot we got married. <laughs> How, how fun. <laughs> we got married. We have a kid named Teddy. He's in the same room with us. Uh, Mike D and Budget King have the week off. We have a very special guest with us. He is one third of the Debates on Tap podcast. He is one half of the Remade in America and the Onslaught podcast. And he is 100% a comic book fan. Andy Vargas. Hey. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. We have been trying to get you on for some time now. How does it feel? I am very, very nervous. Uh, I have a lot of podcasting experience, but this is this is big for me. This is large. Oh, for whoa! Me. I've never podcasted about comic books before, uh, especially to such a wide audience. <laughs> You've only screamed into the void of social media about comic books. Correct. Uh, uh, you know, my other podcasts have tens of listeners, so you know, we have some audience. Yes. We have 20s of listeners. <laughs> Moving on up. So, thank you for joining us. Every time we have a guest on, we like to pose a question to them. What is your comic book origin story? What got you into comic books? Uh, my mom. Actually, really awesome. Uh, um, so she is not a comic book fan. I know that what I just said is probably uh, misleading for most people. Um, she, no, she. I, I was big into horror movies in high school. That was mm-hmm. that was my thing. Um, and I had you know kind of a passing interest in like superheroes and nerd stuff. Um, but for Christmas one year, she got me the hardcover of Marvel Zombies. Yes, which is great run. Know, yeah, uh, you know zombie stuff and superheroes. She thought it'd be great. Um, and that kind of started me down the road of getting into books and stuff. And, uh, you know, eventually I purchased a Captain America 25 was my first floppy issue. Oh, whoa. The one where he <laughs> dies. Um, <laughs> well, well, quote unquote. Yeah. Dies. Dies. <laughs> Comic book stuff. Um, yeah. So that's, that's it. I've got, you know, 7,000 issues, single issues now. And 
I'm, all, I'm in. all in, baby. Yeah, it's your fault, mom. You did this. <laughs> yeah. You created this monster. Yeah, she complains about it every time I move. When are you going to get rid of this? Thing? <laughs> Never. Never, mom. Never. When I meet a tragic death, when these avalanche on me, they're going to become your problem. It will be on your soul, mother. We, I used to go to this comic book shop all the time, and this guy would brag about he had so many comic books that he fashioned himself a box spring out of all of his comic books and he laid his mattress upon them and so he had like back issues that would support his mattress and he slept on them why is it something you would be proud of i don't you know it's just to say that he had enough to create a big enough box spring potentially ruin one day (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's what i thought immediately is that's too dangerous because my first reaction is yeah me too (laughs) (laughs) like like, you guys have enough Books sure. Yeah. It's it's a it's a weird flex to brag to other people in a store that buy the same thing. Yeah. 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 It's like yeah, we all do, idiot. But we put them on shelves because we love them. <laughs> yeah. We don't You're sleep. Right. On Yours that. just give you back yeah. issues. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, on the show today, we're going to be covering Mamo from Boom Studios and X Men, a kind of a lesser known team from this uh, small publisher called Marvel Comics. You may have heard of them. Uh, it was the big hit of the week, and we're going to talk about it. But before we do that, a little movie finally was released. Black Widow It had been pushed back, pushed back, pushed back because of uh, a little thing called a pandemic. I've never heard of either of those things, Black <laughs> Widow or pandemic. You know, 2020 seems like a blur now, and... I have forgotten a lot about 2020, yeah. so I'm just taking it as a leap year, as kind of my my summer abroad. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so, it's been a wild ride when you, when something actually does come out, and you're like, "No, really? It's it's this soon? Like, I feel like that's for real." They can do movies in six months. What? Why would they do that? I'll tell you guys what I'm not looking forward to uh, now that we we're are. Def- we're definitely post pandemic. It's over. It's over. <laughs> it's we're done with it. Throw masks those masks away. away. Right, we beat right, it. Right in the rearview mirror. Uh, mission accomplished. Uh, mission, <laughs> mission accomplished. I got the banner. <laughs> I got the t shirt. Oh. I'm, I'm not looking forward to in um, every job interview moving forward mm-hmm. when I'm asked, uh, what, you know, what did you accomplish during quarantine? Mm-hmm. Let's just say I got a rousing bout of anxiety <laughs> and a bit of a sweet tooth. I managed to not kill my girlfriend who lives with me, uh, even or, though I was at home. Or be killed. <laughs> or be killed. Or, that's more accurate. You know, what a, what a test of a relationship. Let's say you just moved in with someone before or the pandemic Or let's say you were maybe, started. I don't know, in your first year of marriage. <laughs> first year of marriage, experiencing maybe a yeah, pregnancy. Yeah, you know, I don't know, Moving. 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 Getting new jobs. Yeah, we get it. Your guy's life is harder than mine. Okay? I understand. What we need to focus on is Black Widow. Yes. Have we all seen yes. it? Yes. Oh, big time. I was worried that it wasn't going to be good because it had taken so damn long to get here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was worried that it would kind of be like a middling, you know, like a, oh, yep, that movie. A filler. Yeah, you know, it's a Thor 2. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It has her name on it. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It checks yeah. a box. Yeah. Right? But we finally did it. Yeah. Quit bitching. But it wasn't, but it wasn't that. It was, it, was, it was better than that. It was really good. Uh, yeah. I think, yeah. uh, to be honest, the the 
the weakest part of the movie was Black Widow herself. Yeah, I loved every other aspect of the movie. I loved uh, her her family dynamic. The villain was cool, and and uh, ScarJo did great. Yeah, like Black Widow was cool yeah. in the movie. I'm just saying the what they presented for us as far as her family dynamic was very and, intriguing. And really did like those personalities and those roles had every opportunity to outshine her as sort of the straight man you know even though it was oh, like yeah. much like she is she is much of the glue and she was the one who ended up bringing everybody together it's like mm-hmm. having that cast of characters it really did kind of take the forefront away from her in her movie which was you know that's an interesting point but i still really liked yeah, it overall when you have two dynamic personalities with David Harborough and uh, yeah. Florence Pugh, like those characters came in hot, yeah. Ooh, yeah. real hot, and they they crushed it. And yeah. I think I hope we see more of them in the future, down the road. Yeah. Uh, uh, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen Black Widow: hit that skip thirty button a few times. We're going to talk about some stuff that happened in the movie. Um, it, it is interesting though that like she ha- she that the movie catches her in the time frame from right after civil war where she's like in hiding refugee so she's like mm-hmm. already having to kind of like downplay certain things about herself and and like i don't know and she is going about things in 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 um a covert way but i feel like maybe that's the reason that she wasn't able to be like all of black widow in all of her glory because it's it's hitting her in a weird part of her story yeah, I mean, and actually, it's kind of funny that it is a team yeah. movie. She's assembling yeah. her own yeah. mini Avengers, her family Avengers, <laughs> to take down uh, the main bad of the film. And so most of the movie is not her, you know, doffing her black outfit and zipping around and backflipping and stuff. It's more about repairing relationships and, you know, connecting again with her quote unquote yeah. family. Yeah. Yeah. What does it what does it mean to be a part of a group? What does mm-hmm. it mean to be mm-hmm. you know, part of a family? Yeah. And I it's slyly, I don't know if this was intended, but this may be a good f- family film to take someone to who may be like adopted or oh, yeah. you know, like has a different kind of yeah. family structure because sure. this really isn't your traditional family. This family was kind of orchestrated yeah. and put together to to be sleeper cells in America so they could steal these yeah. secret plans. Yeah, it's more akin to like a foster oh, yeah. family, right? Where yeah. You, you have children kind of not thrust upon you, but yeah. thrust upon you, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're non-traditional to the extreme. Do, do the main, yeah. to but the But also max. where yeah. the, the, the parents of that dynamic, you know, like it's not just that the kids feel like, oh, these aren't my real parents, but like the parents are like, oh, these aren't really my... It's like felt on all sides, <laughs> but I think that's right. also why it's very cool that you ultimately see they formed bonds in spite of that, even if they really didn't want to, and that that kind of mm-hmm. made it more meaningful that it was on all sides. It wasn't just like, hey, we're, we want kids. We want to complete our family. We, we're going to bring you in. It was just like, none of us really wanted this, but we wanted the family or like we wanted, you mm-hmm. know, wanted certain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The unit, the, co- the camaraderie. Um, was any of you surprised with the Taskmaster reveal yeah. during the movie? Yeah, I was. Um, I mean, certainly going into the movie, sure, I, I would not have been able to predict even that. Yeah, spoiler alert! Right, mm-hmm. Taskmaster is a woman. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. 
um, you know, they pop the popcorn movie, so they have to kind of telegraph that stuff yeah. ahead of time. So the, <laughs> sure. So the audience isn't too dumb. Uh, there were. I have been completely. I would agree. Yeah. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have even. I don't even think I could have told you. Okay, yeah, Drakeoff is a person. <laughs> like right. you know, I don't. I don't really remember right. that much. But there were a couple of things that once said leading up to the events and like the the experience she has of like you know blowing up that building and like with his i was like oh i do i mean i think it's i think it's her (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's broadcasted relatively early that you can probably just be like i think it's this person yeah it's certainly a possibility right yeah Yeah. we were because we were like well his daughter is either like running things or she could be taskmaster like i mean but taskmaster wasn't built like another thing that black widow has been praised for of like rethinking the way that uh, female superheroes look and operate and how they're dressed like taskmaster also was not built like you it could have very easily been a man that frame was not right. like yeah. the voluptuous like sinewy yeah no armor. none of that yeah, yeah. <laughs> cancel marvel immediately <laughs> they hate the female form i need that titty armor <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But uh, were there any like moments you guys really enjoyed from the oh. movie? Oh. On a final thought of this, um, so the while I was sitting watching the movie, mm-hmm. my my thought about the first um, Black Widow on Black Widow fight scene, the Yelena Belova versus yes, uh, uh, Natasha in, in the fight, safe house thing, in the safe house. I was like, damn, this feels like that fight from yeah, Born Identity. Yeah. Oh yeah. Where, yeah. Where Matt Damon is fighting the dude and he like gets a pen, you know. Stuff. Does the towel stuff? They were they were catapulting each other through cabinetry and doorways. Yeah, and it wasn't like a normal like lady movie fight where they like kind of scratch at each other or like pull hair or what. This was like yeah, they try to strangle each other and like they fucking go at it. (laughs) It was fantastic. um, It's interesting too that I think I mean I kind of think it's rare that you have fight scenes with not one but more than one person or character in a movie that can do better or equal amounts of damage like yelena being one same training possibly more efficient and deadly as her description but um and then you also have taskmaster who can replicate everything that black widow does so like she is fighting people that and it had to have been choreographed well because you wouldn't have done justice to the fact that these the stakes were high because these people are on par with her yeah yeah Yeah. on par with each other Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure uh, the other scene that I thought was surprisingly striking was when she smashes oh her God, own face yes. into the desk. Because the whole time I was like, uh, smell, she's trying to break yeah. him into breaking her nose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I saw that coming. And then it was like, oh, damn. Yeah. He couldn't do it. So she and I like had to she do like it herself. Found time to get a dig in. Like, oh, you just weren't strong enough. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, another thing I really thought was great was they kind of slyly introduced at the end of the movie that they're forming this either Dark Avengers or Thunderbolts yeah, uh, there's team. There's a recruiting of some sort happening. Which, you know, kind of harkens back to the beginning of all the MCU movies when Samuel Jackson was starting the Avengers initiative. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know what they're cooking up, but I'm excited to see what, uh, what comes from it. Yeah. So and I, it's clearly leading into Hawkeye too. Which yep. is just going to continue weaving this wonderful web. Yeah, I mean, Marvel has been hitting it, you know, right on the head with all their TV shows and all their movies. So, uh, if you are a fan of that, good for you. 
<laughs> and you're, you're living it up. This is your season. This is your time. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to celebrate yourself and your fandom, so enjoy. So, with the Black Widow talk out of the way, let's move on to Mammo number one from Boom Studios by Sass Millage, who is, I think this is like their first comic book series. Mm-hmm. They've done like trades or whatever. Okay. So, this is their first series, and this is a, a book about uh, a young witch who has taken over for her grandmother and is now tasked with helping this small town that her grandmother, I think, looked after? I, I think in some way she's been tasked with it, but I think that's just going to be, like, self-propelled. It sounds like, to me, she has begrudgingly gone back to this town that she was possibly raised in with mm-hmm. her grandmother, who is the witch of the town. Right. And... And she, like, maybe has some complex feelings towards her grandmother, too. Maybe she was there, like, trying to get closure or, like, go through the house, you know, pack up the things, that kind of stuff. But then discovers that there's, like, some, some spooky stuff happening some in the town. Some nefarious deeds are And afoot. I think she's going to feel compelled to see it through to help some people out and then maybe, you know... I don't know how long the series is. I, w- I didn't look that up, but... I think it's a five-issue okay. limited. Yeah, so then it may be pretty self-contained, but... Um, yeah, so I think that's what's that was my take on it. Yeah, it kind of felt like uh, like big witch in a little town. Yes, you know, she she has <laughs> yes. city aspirations. Yes. Big witch in a little town. She's yeah. no hick witch. Oceans are too yeah, big exactly. for me. Yeah, she wanted she wanted to be New York witch. Yes, um, she, she has to be you know Kansas City witch. Mamo, witch in the city. Um, this the the art really played to this kind of story of like. This felt like a young teen, young adult witch trying to like make her way, like we talked about in in the world. And this art really reflected that with kind of the playful color tone of it and the line work. And it was really just, beautiful, though. Yeah, yeah. it was very. I, 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 I meant playful in the best way possible. Of just like, yeah, yeah. It made me feel young yeah, when I read light, it. It was lighthearted. Yes, like light. I felt like. I I have I have I felt like I had the world ahead of me, which clearly I do not anymore. Right, right, right. I am past my peak. Yes, yes. I am. You're in a sin city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm I'm Marv. Like people look at me and they go, "You are on TikTok. You shouldn't be on TikTok. There should be an age limit for that." And so I I for a moment was able to escape that reality and really dive into this book, and it it was it was great. It was a, a real delight to read this, and knowing that it's five issues. Um, knowing that there's an end in sight and that I'm not going to be just kind of on the hook for a while to see what the big payoff is, is, is nice. I'm, I, as I'm becoming more of a, uh, older reader, knowing that there's an end in sight is nice for my reading experience. It's certainly easier to pick up a number one <laughs> when you know you're not committed to 70 uh-huh. issues, you know, with like committed. 15 different spinoffs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Looking at you, amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. Nick Spencer, what are you thinking? <laughs> It had, um, it wasn't necessarily drawn or, or portrayed in this way, but it had kind of a Miyazaki feel too, where you have these like monsters, for lack of a better term, or maybe even like spirits or things like this that are like very, very eerie, but still mm-hmm. beautifully drawn and just kind of in a way that you haven't seen things drawn before. And so, like, there's this really like sinister element to a story that's, you know, young and carefree and vibrant, but it's kind of all wrapped up in one. I think those I think you're right I think like that Studio Ghibli kind of feels like all these sinister things live in this very 
cheery and bright universe. Yeah. So it's it's very um, kind of unnerving when you really get down to the story of it and you're like, oh, this is kind of fucked up. Like Princess Mononoke. Like, well, it's classic Grimm's too, which I mean, they're, they're all kind of oh, yeah, these exactly, like fairy tale yeah. notion type stuff. Folklore. Mm-hmm. Folklore. Yeah. Um, going back to the art, one thing that I thought was interesting, like from an actual production of the physical item mm-hmm. itself, um, the, like my, my girlfriend is an art major. She called it like gauche painting. Like, yes. It's like, yeah. It's a style yeah. paint. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like not flat, flat yeah. not whatever, like eggshell. It's like a heavier watercolor. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, and you look at all um, the, like, not not saying that um, digitally uh, rendered comics are any less beautiful, but like you start to become like familiar with like the neon tones or certain like color scheme choices and like this wasn't that. Mm-hmm. Right. right. No. Um, and I, I also felt that the the paper because boom kind of has its own like paper stop um, yeah I thought that the physical paper helped the medium yeah too, which was this was kind of the first time I've read a comic and I was like oh this is like <laughs> this book is produced for the, for the art yeah yeah, and yeah. I know you know that's, and I know that that's clearly not the case this paper hits I mean, different it did. Like, I mean, it did. <laughs> like I know that sounds kind of goofy but it no it's, did, it, did it feel like you're just like flipping through a sketchbook. I, yeah. Kind of like the weight of the paper. Yeah. But it's the pa- but it was, you know, paper and the feel of the paper matched mm-hmm. to me the, the art. The tone of the yeah. book. Yeah. yeah. That's a good call. I didn't really think about that, but yeah. So I mean and 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 at the end of the of Mamo, a uh, little spoiler, we find out that the young witch has to help this child's mother who's like gone into this weird coma, which is a uh trope that happens in all folklore and kind do away of with all the moms studio all the moms yes. gone <laughs> parents get fuck them get them out of here turn them into <laughs> shoes <laughs> with, so they have to help the mom wake up from her nap and there's a there's a spirit up in the attic and it's it's memo yeah so so you're like what is that? i thought this was supposed to be a good witch scenario who so who knows what we're gonna find out about Mamo. Well, she's got this thing that's coming out of her chest that's like alerting her to, or it's some sort of like um, physical connection or tether that she's got going on. And so, and that happens again when her grandmother appears. So it's, it's layered in a way that you're like, this, this is a bit of a hook. This could get me in, but it also makes me mm-hmm. sad in some ways that it's only a five issue. Cause it, I just, whenever I hear that, I, I just have this feeling that this plot is going to run away from me and it's not going to be able to be like encapsulated well. Things will feel rushed. I just get that anxiety. I have yeah. limited series anxiety. <laughs> I mean, it's so much easier for, is that well, it's so much easier for collecting for the reasons that you guys discussed before. But like, it also gives me anxiety that what if I really fall in love with this story and then there's no more <laughs> or it's not able to be told in a way that it, maybe an ongoing would be able to flesh out. Well, then you can just be happy that it happened and you shared the time together. Yeah. The real comic book series is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> it's the mammoths we made along the way. If that's not an episode title, I don't know what is. <laughs> uh, so that was Mammo. It was a great book. Check it out. We always herald oh, Boom sure. Studios. They do fantastic it's YA work. stuff that and- A's want to read. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a holes. It's why A's where the Y and the A both love it. Uh, but before we get into X Men number one, this was 
potentially a hard book for you to find because a lot of new interesting stuff happened it's a it's a new number one first issues kind of run the gamut of speculator scooper heat and so sometimes they become a little more sparse um at the comic book shop i saw this sign and i want to get and i want to get your take on it and i think it's going to uh spark some feisty <laughs> conversation so everyone prep yourself the sign was um that the shop so essentially what that sign is saying is if i bring up a dollar book and it tracks on ebay for 14 dollars, i now have to pay 14 dollars for that book and i don't necessarily agree with that policy i know it's their shop so they can do whatever they they want to do it's their policy i just i just think it um reflects badly on future sales from from me as a customer is am i wrong with in that thinking yeah i mean if i went into a shop and i saw that sign, well i would definitely leave that shop if i was back back issue hunting yeah i think it's a question of like it's not a question of like do they have the right to do this obviously they do but i think it's a question of like should it and who's the audience there and like does that affect how we buy does it affect like the industry overall, which it does. Yeah. <laughs> Teddy has a lot Teddy of Teddy has opinions. a lot to say about that. <laughs> and my thing is, is like, are you really missing out on that much money that you need to put a sign up? Well, they have felt, I'm sure they have felt a struggling industry has felt duped over and over again, missing out on large chunks of money that get picked up by these people who go in, pick them up on the cheap and sell them. Mm-hmm. At a spec buy, like at d- doing all of that and like eBay and the rise of all of this, I'm sure has left them feeling like we are leaving a lot of business on the table. I get that, but you don't see like Walmart or card shops mm-hmm. raising the prices of packs of baseball cards or Pokemon cards because those are also being fueled by speculation yeah, but right th- now. That's Walmart. Your local CBS is not. Yeah, that's true. But my argument would be like as a comic book shop owner, you need to be tapped into the market that you're selling to. Right. right. So you need to know that if Loki is dropping on Disney Plus this week, you probably need to go back and get all your issues of Vote Loki out mm-hmm. and check the eBay price, Yeah. right? Yeah. You need to have an organized shop so that you can do that stuff, mm-hmm. and you need to price your stuff accordingly. Like, there's no problem pricing a comic according to what it's worth. Right. But to bait and switch somebody at the register... Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I do all the work for you and I bring it up, I'm paying for what's on the tag, not yeah. for what you think yeah. needs to That's go for point. or what eBay tells you. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that sentiment because, I mean, there's a there's an app called Key Collector, and it yeah. tells you what's specking and what books are hot at the moment. You could download that app as a as a store owner, get the alerts, and just if you haven't organized enough shop, just go through the back yeah. issues, pull those, and just price them accordingly. Yeah, exactly. Like. And that's and, and and me as a collector, the fun part of going through back issues and back boxes is finding those rare gems. Right. And finding them at like a discounted price. Now, obviously, Fantastic Four like ninety two where like where Black Panther shows up for the first time isn't gonna be in those back issues and I'm not gonna get it for five dollars. Right. But I may find some books that normally cost fifteen for five. Right. Or something. Like that's that's a big enough discount for me to be like, okay, I got a fun deal. I'm gonna come back to this place right. to do some regular shopping and and uh back issue shopping. And and again, as a comic book shop owner, you should have the wherewithal enough to realize that 
for collectors, that's fun. That's part of the draw of going into a shop. You know, is finding a fifteen dollar book for five bucks. Yeah, and that has to be worth more than getting those extra ten dollars that day because right. that book is specking this week. Right, right. Because you don't have forty issues of that same book, right. and you're not losing out on four hundred dollars or right. anything like that. I'm just trying to think of like this is another one of the other examples that is so unique to just this industry. Like you don't have any other retailers that are like fighting with all these moving pieces. I don't think like maybe the stocks are the only other thing that I could see <laughs> being comparable. Like you don't have a furniture store that has to like tap into all these different things and like figure out like it just doesn't exist. It's so it's such a unique battle that these owners have to face. And like, I'm not saying I, I actually agree with what you're saying. I'm just like looking from the perspective of like, the the FOMO and the nature of like having a financially struggling business, the, like writing, mm-hmm. you know, writing out this past year and what additional hardships have been thrust upon it. And you're just like, how can I, how can I recoup some of this? This is what my stuff is worth, but I can't possibly go through all of these mm-hmm. bins while I'm trying to manage all this. It's just, it's got to be complex, and it's I don't think it exists anywhere else. Well, I'm sure it's frustrating, frustrating because. You can usually forecast when new books are going to be hot. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's a lot of buzz, and shop owners can usually be like, okay, I can sell a lot of these books, so I'll order a lot of them. However, it's hard to control a market that you don't control, which is the secondary spec market, which is fueled by nothing. <laughs> right. It's fueled by other people's speculation. Yeah. It has no basis in anything. So, I get missing out on the spec stuff because you can't predict it. It's like trying to, to, to know when an asteroid's going to hit or whatever. Right. I mean, it, you can kind of look at it and figure it out, but mostly it's just luck. Yeah. It's, it's almost the reverse of like the fine art where like cause any kind of market like this, an item is only worth what people are willing to pay for it. Right. 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 So you price a piece of fine art at $1,500 hoping that somebody will pay for it mm-hmm. or you don't put a price on it at all. Yeah. But if you put a price on something, you have to charge yeah. the price. Yeah. Our laws yeah. against You can't that. put yeah. a sign up that says, if you got me, I get to get you right back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get to say exactly. like, no, sorry. Not price is marked. I have to check it first. <laughs> exactly. Right. And if, and if this is a policy that the store is going to adapt of changing the price at the register, I'll fucking go to eBay. Yeah, I can stay home. Yeah, you're going to force more business to the places that are already getting you. And I mean, that's what I would say at the register. Is like, if you're going to charge me eBay prices, I'm just going to go to eBay. Yes. I'd rather support your local business, but eBay doesn't change the price on me when I hit checkout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they deliver it to my house. <laughs> I can buy this comic book in my underwear. Yeah. Can I wear my underwear in here? I, didn't I don't have so. to listen to you brag about being able to sleep on your comics. Donovan. Donovan. <laughs> it, that was just a sign I saw, it, and I just I knew it was going to spark some conversation, so I wanted to bring it up and see what you guys thought. I think, I think it's an interesting conversation and one that's going to evolve as the industry involves, to be honest. So, is there a right answer? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think there is. I it's I mean, the world doesn't work in right answers, which is increasingly frustrating, but I mean, no. Yeah. It is going to change the industry one way or the other cuz it's going to change how we buy and if we can buy from local shops anymore. 
Right. I think, yeah. I think, yeah, the consensus is just get us in the front end. LCS. (laughs) And and leave our back ends alone. (laughs) 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 Let's get into X-Men. A new X-Men, number one, came out. Big news. Very exciting. Writer, Jerry Duggan. Penciler, Pepe Larez. Both well-versed in X-Men. There was some confusion around this book. Let me just... Let me just clear the air here. Jonathan Hickman's X-Men is not done. It's not over. This is a continuation of his story that he started. People online were just like, they're restarting everything? I finally had to just step away from Twitter and social media and be like, I can't answer everyone's questions because this is ridiculous. I don't understand that confusion because in the book... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Jonathan Hickman has a head of X credit. Yeah. In the book. Yeah. Yeah. So why would you assume? <laughs> because they take it at face value. They just look at it like, oh, number one, they must be starting everything over again. Is this your first comic book? Right. People. For some, some people, people, maybe. People are on mass, not bright. I think. I think <laughs> if you just assume that. Which is the wildness that the and the limits that social media added to that not brightness takes it to just like person smart people boundless dumb. boundless possibilities. But yeah, I mean, I even even when presented with facts, you know, there's just no. <laughs> oh, we telling. learned that in 2020. There's just no telling. Um, so it doesn't surprise me. Um, it's also one of the times that I'm very glad that I'm not in the weeds online with that, like you are, to be like confronted with like. You can't possibly think that this is what's happening. Yeah. People were really showing their brain cell count that day. <laughs> All right. So this is a completely new restart. Jonathan yeah. Hickman's out. Uh, Jonathan Hickman kicked out of Marvel Publishing. Uh, they gave him the boot. DC sold, bought the X-Men from Marvel. Correct. Mm-hmm. So Correct. the Batman crossover was totally... Wolverine now has hot dogs as claws. <laughs> that one was crowdsourced. They call them dog claws. <laughs> Wiener man. Uh, no, this is Doggy McDogclaws. This, <laughs> this is a a spill out from everything that's happening with Hickman's X Men. This is a a new team because they're doing new uh, United States Earth bound focused missions. So much of Jonathan Hickman's House of X, Power of uh, Powers of X, and X Men line has been around Krakoa and the intricacies of the political powers of the the mutants and the new society that they're building and the new society that they built on Mars. This is a little bit of a back to basics. This is a team fighting monsters. Yeah, Snorfest, give me that giant robot. <laughs> <laughs> give me that weird thing there's, and let's punch there's it. There's still some underlying politics, but I, it feels to me like they're like taking their show on the road. They're like bringing it down to these yep. local towns and like, being like, hey, we're open. Come check us out. We'd like to talk to you. We'd really like to connect. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's what if, it felt like to me. If the previous X-Men was like Aaron Sorkin's West Wing, this is <laughs> this is like two and a half men. <laughs> this is very, you know, 
formulaic. It's for the people. <laughs> yes, this is the people's X-Men. They're presented with a concrete problem. Monster must hurt monster. Get team together, build robot. We don't, we don't need your liberal elitist TV shows here. What does it mean to be a mute? I like I like my meat red. I like my potatoes mashed. And I like my X-Men punching. And in a tree. And punch, they did. Uh, so this was uh, uh, a new team, like I said. They got Cyclops, Jean Grey, uh, Polaris, Sink, and Forge, Forge, and the best Wolverine. Wolverine, yeah. X-23. <laughs> uh, so they are out on their inaugural first mission. A random alien shows up, which we later found out is from this gaming. Oh, Rogue's in there too. Sorry. Uh, Rogue's My in brain there, yeah. was still going. This gaming like casino planet where they're, yeah. they're essentially fighting for Earth. To yeah. like eradicate to everyone on Earth, destroy the Earth because the Earth's in a good neighborhood. Oh, it's an inhabitable planet that's got oxygen. There's a lot of uh, retail yeah. resellability there. It's and already it, been gentrified. Yeah, it's so. just got bad neighbors. So once we get them out, we're good to go. And so I thought, I thought it was very refreshing. I loved Jonathan Hickman's uh, X Men. There was a lot of memos to read, though. There was a lot of just random. Charts and graphs, the charts comic, and baby. graphs, and that's that is definitely a Hickman thing. Yeah, that's that's his bread and butter. There was, I think, I counted two memos in this one, and they weren't as wordy as they could have been. Yeah, they were nice and tame. Yeah, and so I I, I thought it was a, a good back to basics of just like there's an X Men team, they come together to fight a conflict that is going to yes. hurt Earth. Yes. And they and then they defeat the conflict. There's, what what did you guys there's think? There's an interesting um layer there too of like you get a backstory of this guy who wants to to like destroy them, essentially. The guy that like has built his body from yeah, Mars and then with he's got like past yeah, 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 for sure. He needs to squash it with them for Krakoa and all of that they had done to ruin his life's work to inhabit and make Mars like earth two or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you, Greg. I, I liked the back to basic stuff. I liked that they set up kind of a future villain. It seems like for this arc, they're going to have whatever's low Fang, whatever his name yeah. was. Yeah. Low fan, which like, which Phelan? like rang a bell for me. Phelan. Phelan. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. It like rang a bell for me. Like this seems like somebody like a villain that I've heard before, but yeah, it just like, rang a bell and then I didn't know what it was. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to see how that plays out. I, I hope that it continues with the, like, let's punch something every week, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, cause that stuff's always what I go to for, for a comic book. Um, <laughs> I didn't stick with the Jonathan Hickman stuff. Sure. I picked yeah. up X-Men number one. Um, and then the next stuff I read was, uh, way of X and X Corp but that's oh, yeah. it. Like, I'm out of the loop with all the other spinoffs and books. So then how did this book hit with you guys since you have been out of X-Men territory? The biggest question mark that I had was what did happen to, Krako to Krakoa? Because they talk about how, like, those of you who didn't live to see it or won't live to see it, but then there's also, like, talk that it's still there and they still have portals to it. And I didn't really quite get what happened, what was going on there. Yeah, it seemed like there was like some big event that yes. I missed <laughs> that, where a lot of people like died or like 
because they resurrect every right. X-Man now. <laughs> mm-hmm. So somebody, they died and came back because that's why it like kind of wasn't a big deal, but it was a big deal. Yeah, well, there's, so a lot of hap- a lot happened with the Hellfire Gala recently, which was like a big ball. Okay. Um, and a big party. Like the Red Wedding level of, or like what happened? Well someone-, well, someone did die and I won't spoil it on this episode, but it is a pretty big death of who dies in, um, that issue. We'll talk about it off microphone. Okay. Um, there, so, and then they built the new civilization on Mars, which is like kind of a threatening thing that's happening as far as the eyes of everyone that lives on earth, because they see that as like an act of aggression. Yeah. That was the planet size X-Men. Right? Mm-hmm. That was the big yeah. thing. Yeah. And so there's just like a lot of moving parts happening right now. And with Krakoa, like non mutants can't come on to the island because it's like just a mutant safe haven. Yeah. So that's what they want to um, kind of label it as. But as far as that, I mean, it's just... Um, so is that what he meant when he was like, for those who won't live to see it? Like, he meant like humans, which is why they built a treehouse in New York that everyone could come to? I suppose, yeah. I think that's what they meant. I mean, I don't know specifically what they meant by that. Uh answer me great <laughs> i don't know i i guess i'll call jonathan hickman and see what Please he has do. to say yeah yeah call old johnny boy up jonathan what the hell's going on yeah get us a chart on that one will you oh, i God. like that that's what you would say what the hell's going on <laughs> we're we're close we're we're casual like that me and mr hickman um i'm, I'm excited though like a new number one a new x-men team uh pepe larez has never been better oh man than what he's doing right now it it the art in this specific issue, I think going forward, kind of harkened back to um, Ramos's art. Mm-hmm. Like, I know he did a couple of issues of some X book back in the 2000s or whatever, but it felt like almost cartoony, you know, or classic comic yeah. booky. Yeah. But it stayed pretty grounded. I really I dug it. Yeah. I dug it a lot. Yeah. It was it, the detail and just like the epicness of it and the spreads were just awesome. And, I really want to live in that giant tree house that's in New York Yeah, that they built. Oh, yeah. Because it seems super dope. And I'm sure eventually that thing will be set on fire by some yeah. anti-mutant uh, organization. Yeah, Groot's going to visit. It'll become a living tree. Uh, yeah. I love I love that they keep, they keep mentioning just like the air smells fresher now. Yeah. Because this giant living tree, giant tree. is making it more habitable in New York. So, you know, the mutants are doing good in New York. Yeah, for now. For for now. Uh, so that was X-Men number one. Uh, if you're into X-Men, this may be a good time to jump on. Uh, it's not as big and scary as Jonathan Hickman's big opus. Yeah. So this would be a good uh, entry point to, to newer uh, mutant heads that want to kind of figure out what the X-Men if are all about. If you're into Two and a Half Men, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah if you're into Two and a Half Men... Uh, you're gonna love this X-Men book. I, I, I almost guarantee it. I guarantee it. Or your money back. And since this is a free podcast, I can make that claim. Now, if I said it on the Patreon, I'd have to give people their money back. Can't give you back your time. Sorry. Ship no. sailed on that. Well, if you're worried about wasting time, you've reached the wrong podcast. Yeah, you would not be here. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to talk about on the show before we dip out? Nothing for me. I'm over the moon that you guys are here you're over the moon that we're here that you're here with me oh well we're happy that you're here with us 
We're one big happy family on the First Issue Club. Before we leave, a big thank you to Boulevard Beer for being the sponsor of First Issue Club. We can't thank you enough for giving us delicious Space Camper IPA to drink while we read our comics. It is a little dangerous to hold a wet thing such as a cool can of Boulevard beer while I'm holding my dry paper of a comic book, but I'll get around that. I'll get a koozie. I'll get a special yeah. Boulevard koozie. You guys need First Issue Club koozies for sure. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good idea. I'll buy one. Look out for First Issue Club koozies coming to the store. And until next week, we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. First Issue Club is brought to you by Boulevard Brewing Company via Space Camper Cosmic IPA. Our music is courtesy of the fine folks at Primary Color Music. You can find, friend, and follow us on social media at First Issue Club or FirstIssueClub.com. You can support First Issue Club by joining us on our Patreon for additional content at Patreon.com slash FirstIssueClub.